Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Hello, Molly. This is Elizabeth. I am 33, and I'm calling you from Treaty 1 Territory in Manitoba, Canada. I have been such a fan of the podcast since its inception and just have loved watching it grow. Um, I've been off work for coming up on three years now after having endured abuse and trauma and raising my young child on my own during the pandemic and receiving a BPD diagnosis. Yay! So I've been taking this time before I take my trauma and go back to school to become a midwife, which I'm super stoked about, and doing a lot of therapy. Um, I just finished DBT this past week and it felt like such an aligned time with your caveman episode about like how do we address that dopamine hit and those sort of big things that get in our own damn way. Um, A lot of those things are really hard to address, but I decided to become a premium subscriber and just do my homework. And currently I'm reading What My Bones Know by Stephanie Fu, and it is just such an amazing addition to uh, a very comprehensive an exhaustive list that you have provided for us. I just like appreciate so much the heart and the research and the community that you bring forward to us. And I just appreciate you so much and I love you. And I'm so grateful that you're here with me on my healing journey and I'm with you. Goodbye. Welcome to Back From The Borderline, emotional alchemy in your pocket. If you're new, welcome. If you have been with me before, welcome back. Thank you to Elizabeth for that beautiful voicemail. It sounds like you're making amazing progress and I'm definitely going to be checking out that book. My book list right now is horrifyingly long. (laughs) I think I probably have like $500 worth of books in my Amazon cart right now and also on thrift books. It's just, it's wild. I wanted to share a quote that I posted on my Instagram today. If you're not already following on Instagram, what are you doing? Go follow the page. I share lots of cool stuff there. And if you like the podcast, you'll definitely dig what I share on Instagram. But it's a quote by Marie-Louise von Franz, and I love her work. She was a psychoanalyst and Jungian analyst, an incredible woman who is a leading, was a leading mind in depth psychology. And this is a quote from one of her books. And it says, the healing hero, therefore, is the one who finds some creative way out, a way not already known and does not follow a pattern. Ordinary sick people follow ordinary patterns, but the shaman cannot be cured by the usual methods of healing. She has to find the unique way, the only way that applies to her. The creative personality who can do that then becomes a healer and is recognized as such by her colleagues. And I love that quote because 
it wraps all up into a couple sentences what I've been thinking a lot about lately, which is the way that we really do heal ourselves and how each one of us needs a very special prescription, not necessarily of medications, but of different types of healing modalities of which there are thousands. There is medication, there's breath work, there's CBT, there's DBT, there's mentalization-based therapy, brain spotting, there is energy healing, acupuncture. I mean, I could list, I could just continue listing these things for hours. And it's up to each and every one of us to find out what is that special combination of things that is going to be right for you. But that requires you to go on a journey. And that's why we speak so much on this podcast about the concept of the hero's journey and that's why I love how Marie-Louise von Franz speaks of in this quote of the healing hero and how the healing hero archetype is someone who finds a creative way out a way that's not already known and doesn't follow a pattern we've spoken so much about not copy and pasting someone else's template of healing onto yourself and then hating yourself and being frustrated because it's not working and you're not getting better or feeling healed. It's because maybe that path isn't yours. And I never claim to have all the answers, but I might have a piece of one answer that could help you in being that first breadcrumb that you go, aha, and then you go on your own journey, your own rabbit hole finding your way through your own personal labyrinth towards your true and higher self. That's what we're trying to do here. That's what alchemy is, right? It's turning something, a base metal into gold. It's turning our suffering into something that we can use as material that will allow us to transform and grow. That's what this work that we're doing together is all about. Today I wanted to talk about something I've been reading about a lot, I've heard of, and I've never touched on on the podcast, and it's a concept called executive dysfunction. And if you are familiar with ADHD or CPTSD or other dysfunction labels and disorder labels, you'll have probably heard of executive dysfunction. And I'll reiterate, you know if you are a long-term listener of the podcast how I feel about disorder and dysfunction labels, but we'll get into that later into the episode when we sort of begin to unpack the concept a bit more. But let's start by exploring this concept of executive dysfunction. And in order to understand what that is, I figured we would start out talking about what are executive functions? What are these? And because in order to understand how these things can be dysfunctional, we have to understand what executive functions are in general. I've been using this pretty cool AI tool called ChatGPT, and I'm just going to use ChatGPT <laughs> to ask it, what are executive functions? And when I asked ChatGPT what executive functions are, this is what it shared with me. 
Executive functions are a set of cognitive abilities that are responsible for planning, organizing, initiating, and monitoring goal-directed behavior. These abilities are thought to be housed in the prefrontal cortex of the brain and include functions such as working memory, inhibitory control, cognitive flexibility, and problem solving. They are important for day-to-day functioning and are often impaired in individuals with certain neurological conditions such as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and traumatic brain injury. So yet again, this is a very academic way of describing what sounds like to me if I'm just going to give you my off-the-cuff summary of what this is. Executive functions are what help us do life as adults, right? It's making sure the place that you're living in is, is clean. It is taking care of yourself. It is um, being able to control your inhibitions and your impulses to be able to focus on the task at hand and problem solving and critical thinking skills. And I think that collectively, just as I think that people with BPD big air quotes there, are being sort of scapegoated as the people in society that are splitting and seeing things only in black and white ways and emotionally manipulative. I really think that collectively as a society, so many of us are struggling with splitting. The whole internet is splitting all the time. And I also think that so many of us struggle with executive dysfunction and I know myself is when I've struggled with these things the most is when I was least happy and least in alignment in my life. And so I believe truly that depression and these things where we kind of neglect to take care of ourselves are a knock at the door, just like my previous guest, Lisa Miller has shared a knock at the door, maybe really giving us a sign that we're not living the kind of life and living in integrity with what makes us feel like we are doing life in a way that feels right to us. So now that we know what executive functions are, what is executive dysfunction? So executive dysfunction refers to difficulties within those same cognitive abilities that we just spoke of um, that make up executive functions. So this is experiencing difficulty planning, organizing, initiating actions, and monitoring our behavior. And this can manifest in a variety of ways, like difficulty starting and completing tasks, disorganization, impulsivity, and problems with working memory and attention. So what kind of negative impacts might executive dysfunction have on our lives? First, we might experience difficulty with daily living tasks. People with executive dysfunction might have trouble with tasks like grocery shopping, paying bills, keeping track of appointments. They might experience problems with work or school, difficulty planning, organizing, and time management can make it difficult for someone who is experiencing executive dysfunction to succeed in school or on the job difficulty with relationships, impulsivity and problems with what we described as inhibitory control 
can make it really hard for someone with executive dysfunction to maintain healthy relationships. When we can't control our impulses or inhibitions, it can mean that we snap at people we love, say things we don't mean, and just act in ways that contribute to the unraveling of relationships and difficulty building trust and sticking around long-term, even just getting the ick with someone, as I've described in the past, like someone does one thing and you decide that you hate them and you can never be with them again, right? Um, Increased risk of accidents, difficulty with initiating action and monitoring behavior can increase the risk of accidents like car crashes, falls, bumping into things, an increased risk of legal problems. Difficulty with controlling our impulses and inhibitions can lead to impulsive behavior, which can increase the risk of getting into legal trouble. Difficulty with self-care. You know, when we experience trouble initiating action and planning, it can make it really hard for someone who struggles with these things to take care of themselves, like maintaining personal hygiene, eating a balanced diet, getting enough sleep. It can contribute to increased emotional distress. Difficulty with tasks of daily life can lead to frustration, disappointment, low self-esteem, and can contribute to the development of psychological suffering, right? Or what we call in the West mental health problems like depression and anxiety. And just like anything else, it's really important to remember that these effects very greatly. It's all on a spectrum. We all experience these things in our own unique way. The severity will differ greatly depending on this person's individual circumstances, whether their basic needs are met. There's a lot of systemic things at play that I don't think get spoken about enough. And if the most important part about something like executive dysfunction, I feel like it's a very academic way It's again, medicalizing something that I think doesn't need to be medicalized, but what it is, it's a a knock at the door. As Lisa Miller says, if we're struggling to function in our life, and as we've said, I think that you're probably familiar, like I don't want to adult today, right? I'm struggling adulting. That's sort of like struggling with executive function. And I feel like if we feel lost and directionless and like the things that we're doing maybe don't have a lot of meaning to us, we lack that inner North Star, that inner compass that is driving us to do what we need to do. I also just think sometimes like the concepts of things like executive dysfunction are really difficult because we all function differently. And I think that in these frameworks, it's almost like there is a way that we feel like people should behave, how personalities should be in order to contribute to a capitalist society. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. So one person's version of having proper executive function in their life is going to look completely different to someone else's. For example, the way that a stockbroker who gets up every morning and has his coffee and 
eats his bagel at the exact same shop and arrives at work exactly at the right time and does his job and prioritizes his tasks is going to look completely different to the executive function of maybe someone who is a sculptor, who maybe has like a messy apartment, but there's method to that person's madness and they have a way of life that works for them, right? Maybe they have, they don't wash their hair every day, but they're incredibly productive and they sell their work and they live their life and they are doing them. So that's something that I really want to stress when we're talking about these things. It can start to get really rigid. And just remember that you just need to find a way where if you're experiencing quote unquote executive dysfunction, I think the first really important thing to do is go is there a reason why my higher self maybe or my subconscious is sort of acting out against what I'm trying to force my body and my mind to do? Maybe you're trying to force yourself to do things and be things to other people that are not in alignment with your integrity. That's something to really explore. You don't have to conform to the life and expectations of other people or society. I think something else that typical executive dysfunction discourse fails to address is the systemic nature of these things. Sometimes people can't afford to pay rent or maybe they are so traumatized from something that happened to them that they are almost in a state of emotional paralysis where even taking care of themselves is too much to bear and just going to a doctor and getting diagnosed with ADHD and getting put on a medication, that doesn't necessarily address the underlying emotional turmoil, emotional congestion that needs to be addressed. Also, we learn executive function skills as children. So if you were raised in an environment where you didn't receive this learning and were able to kind of mirror your parents' executive function skills, then it's highly likely that you might struggle with that too. And that doesn't necessarily always mean that there is something inherently wrong with your brain. And just like we explored a moment ago, sure, executive dysfunction can also stem from things like Alzheimer's, traumatic brain injury, and things of that nature. But I think more and more people are being diagnosed with ADHD and executive dysfunction and other disorder labels simply due to the fact that they A, experience trauma in their past. They're continually being traumatized by a systemically sick society and also didn't learn this from their parents. So what are some executive function skills that children beginning at a very young age start to learn? So as a child during play, you will learn executive function skills while playing peekaboo, right? Babies know where an object is, even if it can't be seen. That's how the development of things like object 
constancy begin. We struggle as adults. If you didn't learn this as a child, you might struggle if your partner is not there with you. You think that they've completely forgotten about you and you can spin out and be texting them constantly, right? This is a struggle with object constancy. And we learn as little kids, this executive function skill of object constancy while playing things like peekaboo, right? A little baby, when you cover something up, they think that it actually disappears, actually, that it no longer exists. That's something that we develop the ability to understand through proper play and learning as children. Many of us did not have this and our parents didn't have it either. So what else can we talk about in terms of ways that we learn executive functioning skills as children? Children taking turns and sharing with peers That's how they really learn that kind of skill. Think about how many of us experienced parents who had trouble taking turns and sharing. Children learn to be okay with losing. They learn to follow directions from adults. If we grew up in environments where we witnessed the adults around us not understanding object constancy, not taking turns and sharing, not being okay with losing, not being able to follow directions, Is it any surprise that we will struggle with this too? And this isn't about blaming parents because think about what your parents' parents went through and on down the line, right? I'm really big on trying to move away from blame because where do we put the blame? My dad, you know, was not perfect and his anger, his explosive emotional issues had a huge impact on my executive functioning. But if we go one step back, My grandfather was an incredibly abusive alcoholic and my dad grew up in abject poverty and his dad didn't learn this. My grandfather was incredibly traumatized growing up. He didn't even have shoes to walk to school in the cold. If you go even further back in my family lineage, the trauma just increases and increases. So who do we really blame? What other executive function skills do we learn as children? As babies, we learn to focus and pay attention to people as they talk. We learn to imitate other people and then learn how to use gestures and expressions during communication. We learn to talk through our issues with our friends and family and find a solution. And then as we get older, we learn to organize gatherings with our friends and follow through with those plans. Again, think about it. Did you learn from your parents how to pay attention to people as they spoke? Did your parents pay attention to you as you spoke? Did your grandparents listen to your parents? What was that dynamic like? Begin to unpack that. Did your parents talk through their issues calmly together and were they able to come to a solution? Did they mirror that behavior for you or did you witness explosive emotions or repressing things and ignoring things? Did your parents organize gatherings with friends, follow through on plans? Did they have close relationships that you could see and witness that, what that was like as a child? Many of us did not. Yet we grow up thinking something is wrong with us, with our brains. And while you can believe what you want, 
This is my podcast and I am of the belief that, and I want to state this is my opinion and I'm not a doctor, I'm not a therapist, but I just believe that we don't place enough emphasis on the lack of executive functioning, mirroring and learning that we missed out on as children. So as we grow up at school, you know, even through learning through our parents at school, we learn to manage our time properly in order to get assignments and tests done on time. We pay attention and learn new things. We learn to keep handouts organized by subject so that we can easily find the materials we need. But here's something that I remember about school. I didn't like the things I was working on. I felt like my teachers were tired and burnt out and didn't care. And so very early on in school, I felt like I wasn't at school to learn. I was at school to perform and get the grade and behave in a way that was a good girl. So in my opinion, we are, as children, really left out in the cold and we're expected to what? Just learn all of this stuff on our own? Many of us were raised going to school with tired and burnt out teachers, tired and burnt out parents, maybe abusive parents, even abusive teachers. So many of us grew up in environments where we did not have adults around us properly mirroring and showing us what good executive function looks like. And then we find ourselves on TikTok, Instagram, and in therapy offices where we're diagnosed with ADHD or told us that we're disordered and that our brains are not functioning right. And while there may be an element of truth to that, we're not talking at all about the complete lack of guidance and mirroring and demonstration and example that we need to be getting as children Um, to learn how to do these things in the first place. And that's why I believe that therapeutic modalities like DBT are often quite helpful for a lot of people. A lot of people find deep healing in a framework like a DBT program when it is a properly adherent program and run in the way that Marsha Linehan originally outlined it to be run, which many DBT programs around the United States and I'm sure elsewhere are not what's called adherent programs. They're just sort of a a ramshackle mishmash of DBT skills. But needless to say, DBT skills are helpful because they help people who are struggling with what is essentially executive dysfunction here and signs and symptoms of BPD, emotion dysregulation, whatever you want to call it, I really think a lot of it is the same. They struggle to adult. And why? Because they didn't learn these skills. And so DBT skills are essentially going back to school, as it were, emotional school and executive function school and learning these skills that we were never taught. I'm finding it really interesting in my research for this episode to look at some articles, not by people who specialize in disorders or ADHD, but looking at the articles of people that work with young children and 
how they help young children and recommend that parents help their children learn executive functioning because looking at this makes me realize how many of us are deprived from this at a young age. So listen to what this article says here. How can parents help develop and improve executive function skills? Listen to these bullet points. Have predictable routines from a young age. How many of us had extremely predictable routines from a young age? Provide baby with age-appropriate toys and household items to play with and explore. How many people grew up without that ability? As a baby, use imitation games such as clapping hands to build memory skills and teach baby how to copy you. How many people out there had a parent who maybe was too depressed or too overwhelmed or too caught up in their own emotionally abusive relationship to even play games with their babies, right? To do things like this. As they grow older, continue to model the behavior that you would like to see in your children. I'm just going to mic drop right there. Let's read that again. How can parents help develop and improve executive function skills? This is how, as they grow older, continue to model the behavior that you would like to see in your children. How many of our parents modeled this type of behavior for us? (laughs) We can only be expected to learn and be what we had modeled for us. Another way that this article lists to help develop and improve executive function skills in children is bring children along on errands with you. Let them try new things and complete tasks to help build confidence. How many people had helicopter parents who did every single little thing for their child or didn't think like, oh no, you can't do that on your own, dressed their child in like little matching outfits and would do their hair for them, right? That's one way. Or completely neglected to guide their child and let them help cook, let them help do things, right? Another way, acknowledge good behavior. How many of us grew up in an environment where when we did good things, you wouldn't hear anything? The only time you'd hear something is if you fucked something up or did it wrong or upset your parents in some way. Talk through the steps of an activity, right? How how many times did our parents stop and say, hey, do you know why I'm doing this like this? And like walking us through why? (laughs) Another one, provide opportunities for free creative play and problem solving. And as always, you know, I had to go to Reddit to just read a few things of what people were saying about executive dysfunction and what it feels like. And of course, much of this, when I searched, it came up in the ADHD subreddit because you hear executive dysfunction spoken about a lot on like ADHD TikTok and Instagram and Reddit. And I just don't think as with all psychological suffering and developmental stuff, people just condensing it down to these tiny little sound bites only contributes, in my opinion, to people seeing things like executive dysfunction, disorder, etc., as something that is our fault and down to something that's wrong with our brains. It's a really easy way to just say, oh, this is just how I am. And while I'm sure, as I mentioned, I am not discrediting anybody who experienced severe executive dysfunction that is down to actual traumatic brain injury or something like Alzheimer's, I think 
that a huge chunk of the ADHD disorder label community who make their identity their disorders, they are copping out a bit and just saying, oh, well, I'm neurodivergent and I can't uh, control my inability to executively function. Is that a thing? And so this is just my brain. It's dysfunctional and I'm chronically ill and that's it, right? It's a huge cop out and it is not the fault of those people, but I think it is a symptom of a bigger issue societally right now where we would just rather say something's wrong with us and that we're broken because we don't want to look deeper. We don't want to dive under the hood and really zoom out from 10,000 feet. So this person posted on the ADHD subreddit, what does executive dysfunction feel like? I've been told my whole life that I'm just lazy. So I have trouble differentiating between being unable to do something and simply not wanting to, unless there's an actual physical barrier. Most descriptions I find are for neurotypical people trying to explain something in a way that creates a figurative kind of understanding, but it doesn't help me know which I'm struggling with. Let's unpack this for a moment. I don't like the word neurotypical, just like I don't like the word high functioning because it's like neurotypical according to who? What is neurotypical and who decides what that definition is? right? And what is a disordered personality and who decides what an ordered personality is? All of these things just medicalize and mentalize and scientific guys. That's not a word. Something that is not adequately described in the realm of the mind and science and biology always. So this person comments another person on this subreddit and says, executive dysfunction looks like this, quote, get up and do it. Come on, we need to do it. Let's just do it. You know you can. It won't take long. We really need to do this. But you're still not getting up and doing it, and you often feel guilty and or anxious, stressed over not doing it. You know you technically can. You know, um, you often know exactly what you need to do, but your brain and body is stuck and the thing is not happening. Laziness looks like, don't feel like it, gonna do it tomorrow, not do it at all, with no guilt or stress. And this has like 2,000 upvotes. And after reading that, I'm like, what the fuck is the difference between the two? I guess what they're saying is that with executive dysfunction, you feel major stress over it, but with laziness, you just don't really care. And I just don't know if I agree with that breakdown. I think everybody cares at some level when they're putting something off. We all know intrinsically that when we're kind of putting something off or our life is a little bit falling apart at the seams and you can kind of start feeling the unravel, you know, you're leaving all your texts unread, your emails are piling up, you have nothing left in your fridge, maybe showering feels like a task. I don't think there's a lot of people out there that's like, yeah, fuck it. I don't care. I'm just lazy, right? So I just think that's a really simplified way of describing it. Someone commented back on this, this comment and says, hold up. You're saying not everyone feels totally stressed and anxious, freaking out over having a panic attack constantly because they need to do the thing, but haven't done the thing. I was today years old when I learned this. Dude, (laughs) 
And this person, the same person that wrote this other comment says, definitely not. You can thank ADHD and anxiety for that. Executive dysfunction is a pain in the rear end. And this, my friends, is why I just think that we have to be really careful about where we find support. There's a lot of well-meaning people on the interwebs, especially crawling around these disorder label Reddit threads and TikTok communities, etc., that are just so willing to validate your like your worldview if it validates theirs, right? So that again, we can get caught in this circle jerk of sadness. No, yes, everyone struggles with overwhelm. Like I don't believe that there is one person out there on planet Earth that is like existing in the world that doesn't sometimes find it difficult to adult, right? And I think that it's on a spectrum. We all struggle differently and there is so much to do with our socioeconomic status, whether our basic needs are being met, whether we learned this from a young age. And do I think that there are people who struggle less with it? Yes, but it's hard right now (laughs) to be a human being. It's hard to prioritize things. There's a lot of things that need to get done and to just be in this world where you think everyone else has it figured out, but because you with this dysfunctioning brain um, are one of the few who just can't do it, that's really disempowering. As many of you know, I'm a huge fan of Gabor Mate. He has done an incredible amount of work in the field of ADHD. And I want to read to you one passage from his book, That's called Scattered, How Attention Deficit Disorder Originates and What You Can Do About It. He says, ADD has much to do with pain, present in every one of the adults and children who have come to me for assessment. The deep emotional hurt they carry is telegraphed by the downcast, averted eyes, the rapid, discontinuous flow of speech, the tense body postures, the tapping feet and fidgety hands, and by the nervous, self-deprecating humor. How seen does that make you feel? We're not talking enough about the pain and anxiety and the permanent state of fear that so many of us are caught in. I'm getting goosebumps as I'm speaking about that. But we're talking a hell of a lot about our disordered brains. We need to go within our bodies. These things, these symptoms, these signs, these struggles. Right now, is your body literally tensed up? I know that if I'm not conscious of it, I'm like tense as hell. That's something I'm really working on right now is getting back into my body. How many of you right now are clenching the shit out of your jaw? Have you been even breathing? Sometimes I will forget to breathe. And this is why I I sigh heavily all the time. It's almost a joke with my family and friends because I'm always like, <sighs> and people think that I'm bored, but it's really because I think I forget to breathe a lot. I like hold my breath. I'm tense. I tap my hands all the time. I have been given an ADHD and an ADD diagnosis before, but I chose to not pursue and I was on medication for it for a bit, but I didn't find that the 
benefits outweighed lots of the side effects of being on things like Vyvanse and Adderall and Ritalin. I tried all of those things. I've been on so many different psychiatric medications at this point. For those of you who aren't familiar with his work, Gabor Mate is a physician and author, and he has written extensively on the subject of ADHD. And his views are a bit controversial and Why are they controversial? Because they differ from the traditional medical perspective. So in other words, I'm a big fan of his because he doesn't relate everything back to a disordered brain. So Gabor Mate argues that ADHD is not a disorder of the brain, but rather a response to stress and trauma in early childhood. He believes that ADHD symptoms are a form of coping mechanism that develop in response to adverse childhood experiences like neglect, abuse, or lack of emotional attachment in early childhood, right? This is what we've spoken about here. And it doesn't have to be big T traumas. It can be things like what we've explored already. Listen to all the things I listed off to you that children need to experience in order to develop proper executive functioning skills. And how many of us didn't get any of that or maybe got like two out of 12? So it's no surprise that we all experience executive functioning on a spectrum because maybe some of us had a parent who were great about playing with us and giving us toys and and listening to us when we were kids, but then they completely neglected um, other things, right? And so... This, it's shaped by our environment, by the resources we have access to. It is just so much more complicated than just a brain thing. So Gabor Mate believes that the root cause of ADHD is a lack of proper attachment and nurturing and guidance in childhood, which then leads to problems with self-regulation, including attention and impulse control. And if you're thinking that sounds really similar to what a lot of people are now starting to believe about the development of what is known as borderline personality disorder in that it is shaped by a lack of emotional attunement in childhood and trauma and emotional neglect and abuse and what I believe is like spiritual neglect. Same, 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 same and not so different. Gabor Mate also criticizes the use of medication as a primary treatment for ADHD. And I want to put that in big capital letters. It's not like he's anti-medication, but he criticizes the use of medication as the main mode of treatment. Instead, he advocates for the use of psychotherapy and other non-pharmacological interventions to address the underlying causes of the condition. And he believes that by addressing the underlying emotional and psychological issues that led to the development of ADHD symptoms, it's possible to then alleviate the symptoms without resorting to medication. If you've not already read Gabor Mate's new book that he co-wrote with his son, Daniel Mate, The Myth of Normal, I highly recommend that you get it. And I'll make this recommendation. This is not a a plug for Audible because I'm not paid by Audible. (laughs) One day I'm hoping Audible will sponsor me because if there's one thing that I can authentically give a shout out for and use the shit out of, it's my Audible membership because I listen to so many books all the time. And The Myth of Normal is definitely one that you want to get on Audible. 
And here's why. Number one, it's narrated by Gabor Mate's son, who's one of the co-authors. And I just think that when a book is narrated by the author, it's just that much more special. And secondly, the book is fucking immense. It's really long. I think that the audible version is like 17 hours. And don't be scared by that because what's really cool about audible and what I love and how I use it is I use it when I go out on my walks and I, I probably listened to the myth of normal over the course of maybe a month or a month and a half. So like six weeks. And I just listen to it little bits at a time. It will completely change the way that you view everything in terms of mental and psychological and emotional wellness. It's a brand new book. It was just released this year and it is representative of a lifetime of Gabor Mate's work with people suffering from all sorts of physical ailments that he believes in the depth of his soul. And I agree with this. They all start from our congested, constipated emotions. And I can't recommend that book enough. So at this point, you might be like, okay, Molly, I can't get these fucking executives to function. Now what? What are we going to do about that? I can't take credit for that amazing thing. There, There is a meme that I saw many moons ago, and it said something like, I can't get these fucking executives to function. And I loved it. So I'm sort of stealing that, and I can't take credit for that fantastic meme language. But yeah, how do we improve our executive function skills, right? How can we get those executives to function? <laughs> it's possible. Just like DBT programs help people learn skills, right? We can reparent ourselves. We can teach ourselves the skills that we missed out on. And if this executive dysfunctioning in our lives isn't contributed by something like a massive brain trauma or a real serious biological issue going on and it might be that you struggle with these things because of lack of attunement and guidance in childhood trauma systemic stuff we can begin to at least tackle this and start piecing our lives back together and feel like we can adult better and I feel like it's important to to note that you know, everyone is quote unquote lazy sometimes. I think we're in a culture that places a lot of emphasis and importance on productivity. And so sometimes if we're not being the picture perfect example of productivity or a productive person or a productive member of society and what that looks like as an archetype, we can start to feel like a failure. But it seems like you know, and at least my experience is that true executive dysfunction is a little bit different, right? You might want to do things like make dinner or work on a creative project, but it just feels almost like you're trapped and defeated and you just can't do it. And I think we've all been there. So let's talk about ways that we can fight executive dysfunction and hack our brains a little bit and be able to start overcoming some of these struggles because there are ways that we can do it. Number one, it might just be asking for help. This might feel embarrassing and you might not want to do it, 
but you need to do it anyway. Sometimes if you might have trouble starting and finishing tasks, you can do something like being more proactive and asking your teachers or your bosses for a deadline extension or a little bit of help with accomplishing these tasks in terms of prioritizing. Something that's really helped me at work in my life, I've worked in the tech space for the last 10 years. If you have a manager who is relatively approachable, something that I don't think we take advantage of enough is asking your manager for a quick meeting to where you prepare all of the things that are on your plate and asking your manager and saying, hey, I'd really like your help with prioritizing the tasks that I have on my plate. Can you sit down with me and I can list out to you all the things that I'm working on right now and you can tell me which of these items is the most high priority. Maybe some of these items could be taken off my to-do list, but I want to be able to put all my attention towards the most important tasks. Nine times out of 10, a boss is really going to respect that. But remember that it's all about how you approach it. If I go to my boss and say, I'm overwhelmed. I can't do this. Like, this is too much, right? What is someone, a human being, regardless, your boss, what are they supposed to do with that? But if you say, hey, can I book 30 minutes on your calendar for the end of the week and have you help me walk through my priority priority list so that we can ensure that I'm focusing on the most high priority items, then you look very capable. You look responsible. And these conversations have been historically really productive for me because some of the stuff that I have on my list, my boss in previous jobs has been like, well, you don't need to work on that anymore. Let's take that off. And I'll leave that meeting knowing exactly what the most important things I need to work on are And I've even had some stuff completely removed from my to-do list. You can use this too in your intimate relationships. How often in my life have I built up just this, this nagging resentment because I feel like I need to stay up on top of getting the groceries and all the stuff like toilet paper and toothpaste for my house and plan out the meal prep and do all the cleaning and do my job and do the podcast And I can, in my mind, convince myself that I have to do everything. And I will do that and then be super resentful and maybe passive aggressive to my partner instead of saying, hey, Zaz, can we sit down and like list out all the stuff that needs to be done and kind of divide and conquer these things? But how often do we just let things pile up and pile up and pile up and we're convinced that it all has to be on our shoulders And then we eventually kind of blow up and we're passive aggressive with the people we live with and either blow up at them and say, you never helped me with anything or you never speak it out loud and you just go around kind of like a little pissy pants (laughs) in your life, right? Ask for help. So that's tip number one. Tip number two is lie to yourself a little bit. Yeah, you heard that right. So executive dysfunction it's it's making small tasks seem like a huge deal and a lot of the time this means we don't even start it at all and for me laundry is a thing like this i fucking hate laundry and even though if we really just if we zoom out 5000 feet laundry is take clothes put them in washer 
take clothes out of washer. And when I lived in the UK and I didn't have a dryer, that was like hang up the clothes on the drying rack, right? Or throw clothes in dryer. Take clothes out, fold them, put them back. It's not that complicated. But when you are stuck in executive dysfunction land or overwhelm land, it can feel like the most overwhelming task possible. So a good workaround for this is lie to yourself a little bit. (laughs) Tell yourself that you need to work on the task for a half an hour or 15 minutes and then promise yourself that if you get overwhelmed, you can stop. Nine times out of 10, at the end of that half hour or 15 minutes, you can convince yourself to work for that same amount of time just one more time and then you can stop. When I feel like I have a million emails and it's just, it's overwhelming me, I can go probably three weeks just willing my emails pile and pile and pile and pile and pile up. And then if I do this hack though, where I go, okay, Molly, you're just going to work on doing emails, answering as many emails as you can for 15 minutes. And at the end of 15 minutes, and I will set a timer. And at the end of 15 minutes, at least I've gotten some of it done. And if I'm like, look, no more, I can stop. But I'll tell you nine times out of 10, I'm like, I could go for 15 more minutes. So I'll reset the timer and do 15 more minutes. And this is like playing a game with yourself. And then you realize how much of your time you actually spend psyching yourself out and ruminating. Whereas if you just did 15 minutes of it and just kind of repeat, 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 you might end up doing it for a half an hour. But even if you did it for just 15 minutes, it works. This same hack works with any creative stuff. If you're trying to learn guitar, if you're learning a new language on an app like Duolingo or something, or you're wanting to get back into painting or journaling, say, I'm going to do this for 15 minutes or meditation, 15 minutes. And if at the end I feel like that's enough, I'll stop. Once you get into the flow of something, you typically want to keep going. So try that hack. It really, really works. I don't know if you've ever heard of anything called the Pomodoro timer. You can download it on um, the app store for iPhone and Pomodoro, just look it up. And it's a little productivity timer where it does like 15 minute increments. And I love that thing and it helps me a lot. You can even find free versions online. Another hack is talking to yourself out loud, right? I can't count the number of times I've gotten ready for bed by talking myself through it, okay, right? It's like, okay, take a warm bath, put on your pajamas. Okay, now walk to the bathroom, wash your face, take out your contacts. It feels silly, but sometimes I can get so scattered, so anxious, so emotionally dysregulated that I feel paralyzed and talking out loud helps me embody that like good inner parent for myself and helps me simplify and organize my thoughts so that I can act on them. So give that a try. The last hack is breaking up big tasks into smaller ones. So sometimes I'll try to work on a long-term project during the weeks or months leading up to the deadline, but because the project is so big, this small steady progress feels pointless and I just stop working on it. 
So when you break up big projects into tons of little projects, you get a really big sense of accomplishment every time you meet a deadline or accomplish part of that, part of the piece of the project. And it gives you motivation to keep going and meet the next one. So for example, right now, I've been asked to do a keynote speech at um, a symposium at the University of Calgary. Really nervous about it. It's in March and that's really overwhelming, right? Like do a speech, basically like TED Talk vibes. And that can be overwhelming as hell. And it is a challenge that I'm facing right now in my real life. And what I did for myself, instead of doing what I typically do, which is wait until the last minute and prepare something, and it still always turns out well because it's coming from the heart and I work my ass off on it no matter what, I'm deciding to break it up into smaller pieces over time. So what was the first task? The first task was research, getting together all the different articles that I felt like had little bits and pieces of what I wanted to say and the themes Phase two of the project I decided was going to be, you know, putting all of those themes and like the the key highlighted areas of those articles all in one document. So they're all in one place. That was step two. Step three was making a bit of an outline of my speech. And that was just kind of like bullet points that I wanted to say. And then step three is going to be fleshing out those bullet points and making it a cohesive speech. And then step four is going to be practice, right? Saying it over and over so it feels natural. I don't want to be reading off of anything. And step five is going to be putting together some kind of visual accompaniment to my presentation. So do you see how if I break this up, instead of saying, give a keynote speech, holy fuck, that's terrifying. But if I go, okay, what are the steps involved? in making this and breaking it down into little bite-sized chunks, it's a lot more approachable. So that's it for executive dysfunction. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. If you have any feedback on it, aha moments or interesting epiphanies you had while listening to this, feel free to send me a voicemail at backfromtheborderline.com. You can click the little microphone icon and record your question. And speaking of voicemails, we're going to tie things up with a voicemail question submitted by one of my premium submarines. And if you know, you know. My premium submarines are Acast Plus members who get access to special episodes, ad-free episodes, and on our premium submarine episodes, we go really, really deep into these concepts. So let's hear my voicemail from Winona. Hey, Molly, it's me, your premium submarine. (laughs) Um, I was just thinking recently about how I've been working through this BPD uh, journey for the last almost a year now and I guess uh, my question for you is how do you find the motivation and energy to keep on going it just feels like it's never ending and feels like like I'm just tired I'm just exhausted of always feeling like I have to try or use dbt skills or Um, or just like 
keep myself motivated. And you know, sometimes you're just tired of it all. So, yeah, that's my question, I guess, for you. Sending lots of love. Bye. Wow, Winona, your question couldn't be more relatable. And I'm sure it will resonate with many of the listeners. You ask, you know, how do I find the motivation and energy to keep going? It's never ending, right? You want to know why I feel like we feel this way? It's because we're using our recovery journey as just another way to beat the shit out of ourselves. And we're holding up this ideal of healed or fixed in our mind and if we don't meet these crazy unrealistic expectations then we're a failure and it feels almost like we're just pushing a rock up a hill and every time we get to the horizon there's just more mountain and more mountain and you know you can think of it that way or you can change your perspective and that's how I've figured it out instead of feeling like wow oh my god this is never ending i'm never going to be normal i'm never going to be fixed i'm so tired of this constant work on myself that's why exploring the concepts for me of spirituality and mysticism and myth and symbolism have been so much more fulfilling and satisfying and helpful for me in my journey than traditional modes of therapy like dbt or medication and symptom management because it allows me to see my life as this ever unfolding journey it's never finished it's never over i'm constantly in a state of becoming who i truly am and when i look at it that way it feels like i am an explorer in my own life uncovering things imagine how archaeologists are you know some of these people work until they're 80 years old and then maybe they never make a huge discovery right but it's all part of the journey for them they're connecting the dots they're putting the pieces together and then maybe their research helps a person that comes along in the next generation of archaeologists make a huge discovery. But you wouldn't probably see an archaeologist like that beat themselves up. They take joy in the process. They take joy in the journey of discovering and uncovering. And I encourage each and every one of you and you too, Winona, to change your perspective. Be an archaeologist Embrace the process of becoming, the process of unknowing patterns and coping mechanisms that have kept you stuck, uninstalling the programming that's been plugged into your brain from a young child, and becoming who you truly are. And know that that process is never finished. And so if you let go of the idea of there being a finish line or a firm definition of fixed, cured, or better, then you can actually just relax into the journey and let it happen. When a caterpillar is in its cocoon and it completely disintegrates into goo, compl- did you know a caterpillar completely turns into goo in its I almost said like a, it's a chrysalis, right? I almost said a sarcophagus because I'm thinking about ancient Egypt. When a, when a caterpillar is in its sarcophagus, turning into a butterfly, 
it's not going like, oh, when am I going to be done? When am I going to be done? Oh my God, oh my God. It doesn't have that thought. It's just becoming its next version of itself. And it wouldn't be able to even do that if it was under extreme stress and resistance. So I hope that's helpful. It's what has helped me. So try a perspective shift and see what happens. One of my favorite spiritual teachers, I guess if you would call her that, she's definitely been one for me, is Byron Katie. And one of her tactics that she uses in what she calls the work, right? Which is just self-inquiry, which people have been doing for thousands of years. Philosophers were doing this, is asking yourself when you have a thought of what would I be without that thought? And she also encourages people to flip thoughts around and think the opposite of those thoughts. So if you're thinking like, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, this feels like it's never ending, who would you be without that thought, right? What would it feel like if you just relinquished that feeling, oh, it's never ending, I don't have the energy to keep going. What if you believed you have a never ending supply of energy and that you are an archeologist and seeker and your life is constantly unfolding and you are in a constant state of becoming? How would you feel if you instead believed that thought? So. Try that one on for size and see how it changes your inner landscape. So that's all we have for today's main episode. I have a very exciting treat for you. I decided that I am going to play the first 15 minutes of this week's episode that is exclusive to my premium submarines. And if you're wondering, Molly, what the hell is a premium submarine? What are you talking about? And how do I become one? All you have to do is go to my website, backfromtheborderline.com, or even easier, click the link that's at the very bottom of the episode description, and you can sign up. And part of becoming a premium submarine, and the reason why we call them my premium submarines is because we go deep, right? My premium submarines also get a monthly newsletter of all the books I'm reading, podcast episodes that are inspiring me, YouTube videos, all that fun stuff. It's called the Monthly Sonar System Mailer. And if this sounds exciting to you, you should join us. But what better way to see if it's something that you're interested in than to actually get a preview of the episodes? I started this new thing this year called My Stupid Walk for My Stupid Mental Health. And these are the episodes where I go outside on a walk with my dog, Cody, and I talk to my premium submarines about stuff that's going on in my life. We dive deep into concepts that we talk about on the podcast and even just responding to voicemails and questions submitted by other premium submarines. It's a really beautiful community that's developing, and I wanted to give you a preview of what these episodes are going to be like. So if you are a premium submarine, just already stop this episode because then you're going to be able to access this full episode on your ACAST Plus premium feed. So without further ado, here is a little preview of this week's premium submarine episode, Stupid Walk for My Stupid Mental Health number two 
and it's called Hot Mess Molly. So let's check it out. Hi Molly, it's Katie from Perth, Western Australia. I'm currently on my stupid walk for my stupid mental health. Um, I started my walk about five o'clock in the morning and I've come down to the river by my house to listen to your podcast and I was thinking maybe we should like everyone post or send in a photo of their surroundings when they go for their walk because I cannot believe that right now you're so cold that your nose is dripping whereas it's nearly about six o'clock in the morning here in Australia and I'm sweating. It's going to be about 35 degrees today and the sun's already halfway up and yeah I think that would be a great way for us all to connect to each other all around the world. Hi Molly, hi fellow submarines. I have just gone on a stupid walk for our stupid mental health with you guys. Um, just a heads up, I'm heavily PMSing right now and I usually notice that my symptoms get a lot worse in that week. So yeah, I was listening and Molly, you were talking about how you work on a director level in a tech company and you're managing people and you have this podcast on the side, which is super successful. And you have a partner who supports you in your passions and your dreams and your ambitions. And those are all things that I personally am super insecure about because I feel I don't have a career. I feel I don't have a passion. My partnership with my partner is extremely complicated. So then I could just feel that split happening that like Molly has it all and I have nothing and I'm so awful and my life is not worth living. But luckily in that moment, you started talking about how important it is to listen to people. So luckily that like it made me actively listen to your podcast again instead of ruminating on the fact how unworthy I am because it triggered me that you perceived have everything and I have nothing. And then I was listening and there were so many good points in there and it is so true. We just need to listen to people more and stop being so self-centered because that is the only way that you can have a genuine interaction with someone. So thank you so much, Molly. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. This is Stupid Walk for My Stupid Mental Health number two. Cody and I are out. We're on our walk a little later than normal today. I got some voicemails from you guys, which made me so happy. And Aja, your voicemail was such an incredible one. And it is going to inspire our talk today on our stupid walk. And if you send me voicemails, it's very likely that your voicemail will spark my idea and this is also how we're weaving together this beautiful community right i want you the submarines to send me your voicemails and it's going to inspire me of what i talk about and it'll just continue weaving this thread of connection together between all of us which i think is the most beautiful way to create community even more so than something like a discord or whatever because i'm really just starting to feel like people typing to each other online is really, it's contributing to a lot more breakdown of connection than it is generating true connection. Because you just can't read tone in someone's words. People um, tend to 
say a lot more mean stuff to each other than they would over a keyboard. And what we're doing here is just about as authentic and genuine and true to connection as it can be. And I believe that it's going to build into something big. I'd be lying if I didn't say like, you know, I stress out if I don't get new subscribers or if people unsubscribe because I'm like, what am I doing wrong? And this ties into your voicemail, Aja, because I know that like from the outside, maybe my life, hearing someone describe my life as like, you know, you're, you're a director at a tech company, you have a good relationship, a really strong relationship, and you're doing really great. And it made me feel like unworthy. And I have to be open and honest with you that even hearing someone describe my life like that, a couple of things came up for me. One of which was, wow, I want to, I need to step back more and really be grateful for what's going on in my life right now. Because it's not always been this way. And two, and I kind of want to take the walk today to kind of walk you through some of the darker periods of my life because I want you to all to understand where I've come from and I think I've talked a lot about it I I I give bits and pieces throughout episodes but why not like kind of talk a little bit more in depth and the reason why I want to do that is because I want you to see you know it has not always been like this but on the other side understand that you all only get a very small piece of my life I still cry multiple times a week and so I just want you to understand that like it's not all sunshine and rainbows and my relationship isn't perfect you know me and Zaz still argue I still feel unheard and unseen sometimes and I and I have to go away and like sit with my pain I just the other day not yet the other day, yesterday, I was sitting on my couch and for some reason I found this uh, influencer and I don't like calling that her that because I actually sometimes stumble across people on Instagram and I'm like, whoa, what they're doing is actually really powerful and they're not the standard template of influencer. And this girl is basically, she's living in a colony on some island. She's um, an indigenous woman and just the the work she's doing is beautiful. I cannot for the life of me. I subscribed or like I followed her. I couldn't for the life of me. I remember what her name is. But she does some form, I believe, of Polynesian dance. So imagine like a hula dancer. And she posts videos of herself dancing and she just looks so free and so just joyful. She's not like a influencer, Bella Hadid clone. She's literally just exuding pure joy and just moving her body and she looks so free and she's looking into the sun and she's full of joy and I watched myself I felt myself kind of like watching her videos and like emotions were coming up for me and then I come stumbled across another of her videos and it was her and her son and I might get emotional talking about this so I'm gonna just not even near my period right now I'm literally two weeks away I should be in the the tip top of my non-emotional state but here we go so yesterday I I stumbled across this video and it's her and her son and it was just her set up a camera and I you know whatever you might think about people filming their children and whatever like 
that's neither here nor there. And I think there are ethical things there, but I'm going to just put that to the side for a moment because this video clip was quite literally her and her son having the most beautiful, joyous connection that I think a parent and a child could ever have. They were laughing together and you can't fake that. This kid looked into his mom's eyes like she was his everything. And she loved this. And she was looking back at him just like the same. I'd say he was probably about three. And it was, I literally, I was already feeling something in my stomach watching her just like joyfully experience her life and move her body. And then watching this moment between her and her son, (laughs) I like broke down in like insane sobs. (laughs) And I'm sharing this with you because like my healing work is not done. I do a podcast and I'm really good at polishing it. And I hope that I do a good job also of like reiterating that I'm not a, I'm not a finished product, but I know that hearing about my life right now, no matter how hard I try to be authentic and show you that I am still working on things, I know it can look like from the outside that I'm like killing it. And I do believe I'm killing it, but I still have these moments where I completely break down. And all the time I'm questioning like, who am I to be giving advice to these people? Or, you know, because I'm still breaking down and sobbing, you know, um, and still, still, um, mourning, uh, what I never had. And watching this mom with her child, someone, I opened the comments and someone had commented on this video and said, I've never known mothering like this. And it just, it sent me into like a spiral because me neither. And I'm in this really hard um, crossroads where I am trying to have more compassion for my parents because of what they went through and then also compassion for myself and those two things don't always talk to one another I'm still I don't think I'm angry at my mom anymore I think I've moved past the healthy anger phase and I'm trying my best to develop compassion for her and I think I actually really am settling into that in a natural way but still Still moments like that get me. I'm just sitting down on a little rock for a second because I have been walking uphill for a minute and I want to stop crying. Yet again, my nose is pouring out. It's Molly and the snot, my stupid snot for my stupid mental health. I'm sorry to sniff in your ear, but I know you all don't mind. So I wanted to share that because that's just like one of many times a week that I completely break down. Or I will be, I will completely lose my shit over something that's happening at work and completely vent and overshare to Zaz. And I just kind of see Zaz's eyes glaze over. And I know in my heart that I'm complaining about the same shit that I always fucking complain about. And I'm letting other people's shit become my shit. And I feel like I'm caught in this fucking loop. And so please just understand that like, I'm going fucking through it still. I'm going through it. Any little thing that happens, I still think it's all my fault or it's all about me. Or I I hear myself talking all the time and I'm like, why the fuck am I talking about this? 
like my mind is a very wild place to be and Aja I still have you know those thoughts of like I still don't own a house will I ever own a house like I have these things like I want to be a mom and I'm going to be you know like I'm almost in my mid-30s is that even possible for me am I going to fuck up my kids am I am I going to be able to be a good mom am I going to be able to Am I going to have this podcast and then is my kid going to listen back to this podcast one day and say, like, what a fucking hypocrite. She fucked me up. Like, I'm really scared of that, you know. So I just wanted to thank you for your beautiful voicemail. And like, this is the kind of thing. This is why I created the premium version, because I don't feel safe saying all this stuff on the public podcast but I feel safe doing it with all of you and you you all call me cry like I have voicemails of you crying and like just know that when I listen to these like I wish you could see my face when I'm hearing your voicemails especially when people send me voicemails and they're emotional it's like my whole heart explodes with understanding and empathy because like I'm still going through all of those things um but I'm more grounded in it, right? And I and I do believe that I'm surfing the wave. And Asha, you know, I think I might have shared this on the last stupid walk, but this concept of the pendulum is really powerful where things might be going really great, but always around the corner, there might be a really hard thing coming around. And I know that I need to be prepared for that. So just know that like what you're seeing of me is a very small percentage of of my life you know and behind the scenes I struggle deeply but the work I'm doing here with this podcast is actually saving my life you all are helping to save my life and I'm hoping that I'm helping to save yours too that's why I don't ever believe in kind of like guru style figures of people that have got it all figured out the people that I trust and love the most are the people that say, I don't fucking have it figured out at all. I just have maybe a piece. And I think I've got a piece. And I want to share those small pieces with each and every one of you. And I have a few listeners that email me pretty regularly about stuff that they're finding. And it helps me. We're just, we're helping each other. That's the reality. So I think that I want to spend the last bit of time of this little walk that we have come on cody cody's like bitch we start we're going backwards and she's like no i wanted to keep going this way sorry cody so let's talk a little bit about like hot mess molly i guess which that is i want you to know that that was the primary uh version of me that I, that's existed from for the most of my life i'm 33 years old now And I would say that I have only had my shit together, a semblance, a sliver of my shit together for probably the last two years. So for the first, you know, I I don't really count childhood as it as as part of the hot messness, even though my struggles started very, very young. I'd say that like the fall apart really began probably around like 12 13 and then it just became increasingly awful 
as, uh, as I deepened into my adolescence and into my 20s. I think it mostly started because... So that's it for today's preview. If you'd like to become a premium submarine and join the amazing group of human beings that is already congregated, there's like almost 400 of us at this point who are going every week on our stupid walks for our stupid mental health, feeling, crying, and experiencing life together, please join us. You can do that by visiting my website and clicking the premium submarine tab there to learn more even easier though just click that link at the bottom of the episode description of this episode and you can sign up it's super easy once you figure it out you just need to sign up and then you get access to a private podcast feed so when you sign up successfully you will have a brand new back from the borderline podcast feed in your podcast app of choice and every week you'll not only get the regular free episode that you're listening to right now you will also get the stupid walks for my stupid mental health that you just heard and you'll also be a part of the special submarines that get my monthly secret super deep newsletter so if that's something you're interested in why not join us that's it for me today sending you all the love in my heart I hope you have an amazing week and I'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.